Good to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, glad you're here. I was thinking this morning about a passage over in Matthew 16, where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's talking about his future in the church and uh, all that sort of thing. And he talks about the kingdom of God, and he says something that has always fascinated me about the kingdom of God. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, and it's always been kind of an arresting phrase to me because I think that locates the kingdom of God for us. And uh, there's an advancing nature to the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we've always looked for in ministry partners here at P Pulpit Rock is people who take that verse seriously and quite literally are storming the gates of hell and stepping into some of the hardest places with the good news of God's healing kingdom. And I get to introduce one of those people to you today. Uh, Annabelle, uh, who is from the remnant generation in Kampala, Uganda, has been doing that for years. And last year, we got a chance to hear uh, something about her. I have a, a good friend, dear friend, Mark Dunn, and all of his friends are doing awesome stuff. And so when he says, hey, you should check this thing out, I take it seriously. And he said that last year. And so we went and looked at this ministry in Uganda called the Remnant Generation. And I, like I was prepared for it to be a good ministry, I was just stunned moment by moment of, with everything I saw. They've been working for years with teenage girls who are pregnant, uh, often in most cases from an instance of abuse. Uh, they have helped thousands of girls to this point. They have two homes for girls where uh, if they lose their home because of the shame associated uh, with teenage pregnancy, they will take them in. Uh, they will train them and equip them and raise them up and release them into the world with a job, with spiritual development, with the holistic gospel, with just everything that you would want. Um, they started last year a home for street boys. Uh, and now there's some street girls who are living there. They're just uh, some people that were on the streets as teenagers or early 20-somethings, and uh, now they're seeking to help them develop and develop life skills and also hear the gospel and all the stuff that you would hope that uh, kids on the street would hear. What I love about it is a few things we look for when we look at minister, ministry partners. We look at the idea of the holistic gospel, not just the, the good news of Christ's saving work, but also the good news of the redemption that he wants to accomplish in our lives. Uh, that was there. We look for sustainability in ministry. Uh, we didn't ask her to do this, but she showed us all of her books and all this. This is one of the most financially efficient ministries I've ever seen. I was astounded by that. But most importantly, we look for people who really care about people development, not just charity, but people development. And what she is doing to develop people has just been astounding. Um, so... I'm excited for her to preach. I'm excited to sit under her teaching today and excited for the message she's going to share. We wanted to give you a little bit of taste of what the ministry is like. So here's one of the stories uh, on video of one of the people who have come through her ministry. So watch these screens and then welcome up Annabelle. Abasajja 
I really thank the Rebna generation for helping me and the most I thank God because I'm still alive. Paul Petrock Church. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very humbled to be here this morning. I've been part of the first service and I have the rare opportunity to speak to you in the second service. Allow, um, if you can, you know, if you don't mind, just join me to celebrate the Bishop of the House and the be his beautiful wife, Pastor Jonathan and Becky. Uh, just please, with your hand clap, allow me to celebrate them. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for really loving us and for the opportunity. I'm so humbled. I'm not supposed to start off with crying, so I'll stop there. <laughs> and I also want to honor a very special person in this room. Uh, his name is Mark Dan, and um, he's the reason I am here, partly the reason I'm here, uh, greatly the reason I'm here, <laughs> because he introduced me and Isaac to Pastor Jonathan and he has, um, you know, embraced us and the ministry that we do back home. And he's walking alongside us with his beautiful um, family. Thank you so much, Mark. And may God bless you. I also want to celebrate the amazing team um, that is led by Pastor Luke that is doing an incredible job, uh, you know, with that with, with the, with the woodwork and everything. I know so much more is going to be talked about that. But I want to thank you all and everyone who participated in the a mission trip that happened last year that came out to Uganda. I recognize all of you and we love you and we say, when are you coming back again? So <laughs> please make, a, make it a point to return home. And I quick mention, I have a, another dear friend of mine and ministry partner, Trinity Heavens. He's in the house today and uh, he's responsible for
for that video. He, um, his team produced it. He does an incredible job. So Trinity, nice to see you in the house. Uh, my name is Annabelle, and my second name is Nakaviri. So anyone who pronounces it well, I'll give you a big hug. My third name is for my husband, Isaac, and among all the gifts he would give me, he gave me a really difficult name. So people find it <laughs> difficult to pronounce it. So if you try more than, I'll give you a second hug, like double hug. It's called Sebachi J, yeah? And we've been married for 10 years, and God has blessed us with beautiful children from through us and through our hearts. So that is our little family, and trust me, those guys are awake and watching. So we thank God for technology that is able to connect us overseas. So allow me to take a moment to just send out greetings to my big clan, and they have mobilized... <laughs> All the girls and, you know, the, the, the girls at the shelter are watching, the, you know, the boys are watching, and our church family is watching from home. I am so loved. Hey, I'm excited. And I want to also bring greetings from my local church back home, Worship Harvest Ministries, and uh, our dear pastors, Moses Mokisa and Sarah, who have also commissioned us to be church planters. So Isaac leads the Worship Harvest Busega location, and I am excited to be here. That is typical of Africans. We send greetings, we bring, you know, messages. So the sermon, that is not the sermon, yeah? That was greetings part, and it is done. So we are going to, <laughs> we are now switching and going to the word. And I feel that the Lord today has really placed on my heart. I have changed the message I was supposed to teach here three times, Pastor Jonathan. And uh, Cindy can testify. I sent her a completely different thing in the first place. And then yesterday I sent her something different because as I continue to pray into it, I felt like I, I needed to share this. So I want you to be expectant. I believe that the Lord has something for you and I. Amen. So let us start with... Um, Ephesians 2.10, I want us to start with that scripture, and if you don't mind, back home where I come from, we'll read scriptures loud, loud uh, together, so will you do that? All right, let's read. For we are God's handwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you that you are here, and that your Holy Spirit is here. As I continue to decrease, Lord, may you increase in this place. And may there be a specific revelation, assignment, calling, affirmation, healing, miracle, Lord, for your children today. That everyone will walk out of this room knowing that they went to church and God had a package with their name on it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, I love good news. Who else loves good news? Hey, I love good news. I love good news. And this scripture is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because it shows that I'm not here by accident. Somebody planned my very existence. And I'm not a surprise, yeah? You know how you... <laughs> we have a very funny joke back home where somebody gets pregnant again, like they, maybe for their second or third child, and like their little one is like three months or four, and so you weren't planning on it. And then be like, oh, it's a oops. You know, it was like an oops baby. Um, so you're surprised because you weren't really ready for that to happen. But there is no oops to God, yeah? He has planned each one of us, and he has laid out a beautiful plan. Before he thought about my existence and your existence, he went ahead and prepared the world for us. 
He prayed a, prepared a beautiful garden, you know. You know the creation story? He thought that we need sun, we need the moon, we need the stars, we needed the cloud cover, we needed the snow. We only have, have to enjoy it when we come to Colorado. You know, we need all these other beautiful things. And he knew exactly where each one of, this, each one of us would thrive, and he placed us there. I'm thankful he placed me in Africa. I am thankful he placed you where you are because you are right where you need to be. Amen. And when he was thinking about us, I, I, I love, I love, you know, I've fallen in love with woodwork. I need to sign up for the classes because it's just an illustration of this very scripture that we are God's handiwork. You know, think about it. Uh, you, you see a tree and it looks innocent. But out of that very tree comes beautiful furniture. Comes strong chairs. Comes, you know, this beautiful podium. Comes all the beautiful things that are at the table outside. All the doors. I mean, imagine just from a simple innocent tree. So God looks at our very being and literally went down and crafted us carefully putting a lot of creativity and heart and soul and spirit into it so we are not here by accident if you help me turn to your neighbor and tell them you are god's handwork and you are here for a purpose can you preach with me Yes. So you are God's handwork. He knows that you are supposed to be here. And what the enemy does, because we are in a world that we are, you know, we all know that the, 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 the devil, you know, fell and was thrown to this place, you know, and he corrupted things with God corrupted. God's initial design was for us to thrive and flourish. And it has never changed. Every day he's looking at how to get us back to that place. And what the devil does is that he gets what the Lord created, the very beautiful things that he has made, and then he creates a copycat of the same. And then he gives us all the lies and all the, you know, the counterfeits. And sometimes if we are not careful, we will settle for that. We will settle for the deception. We will settle for the, you know, for, for the wrong truth because it is not truth anyway. Amen. So this morning, I want you to understand that you are God's handwork. You have a purpose. And no matter what the enemy has done, there is a God who sees you differently. And his perception has never changed. Amen. The Bible says um, uh, that, um, you know, when... <laughs> He rejoices over us with dancing, and I love that scripture. I imagine him standing up right now, and he's like, go, girl. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yes, daddy, let's do this, because I've been nervous all the time, man. It's not been easy now. I'm looking for my page, and it's lost. There we go. I got it. So I want us to look into a story of a young woman. And this story is a story of um, a situation that looked like Completely hopeless, completely um, discouraging, completely heartbreaking. Uh, it's not a story that we get to hear in church very often. And yet these are the very things that are happening in our midst. And what the devil does is that sometimes he hides some truth from us. And he hides things from, you know, um, and they're not being talked about. And yet they are really affecting us. But when we get the courage to face them and we know the truth of God through them, then we can walk in the victory he has designed for us. So open with me to Second Samuel chapter 13. 
Um, and if you get there, just tell me uh, amen. And we are going to quickly read through it. I was, th- I, th- I was thinking and battling whether we need to read it or I just paraphrase it. But the word of God is powerful. So I don't want you to just take my words. I want you to ask to take the words of God. Amen. And if you think you can make it, we are going to re- read through this particular part of the Bible. Now, David's son, Absalom. So my, my Ugandan accent may pronounce names differently. But just know that that is the name, yeah? Yeah. So now David's son, Absalom, or Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shimea. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. I can't even imagine his face. Well, Jonadab said, I will tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you, feel, you will feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Let's next. Then I... Ca- then I can eat it from her hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to a place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish, but when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone got out of, everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as he was feeding him, he grabbed her hand and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And... You could be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate and hate. And he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snared at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in the days for the king's virgin daughters. But now, Tamar tore her robe and put on ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and, say, and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. 
So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard about what had happened, he was very angry. Perhaps you've seen and heard stories of sexual violence and sexual trafficking and sexual abuse that are all over the world. These stories, walking into these stories, walking into the story of the, of the young woman that you saw in the video, walking into stories like this can be very challenging and heavy. And I used to wonder why the Bible would have such a story. Because it's supposed to be the book of the good news. This does not sound like good news. And this is something that you would expect that God wouldn't want people to read about and see. Because there is so much things wrong about this story. We see King David, a king, and the man in the Bible who is talked about as the man who had God's what? Own heart, right? And then this is the man who had slain giants. This is the man who had led Israel into victory. So a lot seemed to be going well with him. David's story was already so beautiful. But then the Lord, because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, he allowed that there would be things that are written that, about King David that don't look beautiful and you may not want to know about them and i'm glad that the holy spirit allows us to see these things because then he has he redeems those very broken areas of our lives and gives us ability even in this generation to look through them and know what to do in our time because what happened to tamar many years ago is still happening even right now my story is tamara's story I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and child marriage. And I was shocked when I read Tamara's story because I too was abused by my half-brother. And it was very crafty because we were alone at home in the same house when my parents had separated. And this was the person that had come to protect us. And he took advantage of the situation because he was stronger and because he could and he did it. And for many years, I was told not to talk about it, to keep quiet about it, never to tell anyone about it. This is a story that is true for many girls that have walked through the doors of the remnant generation. But this story is not just true for just Africa. I was shocked when I looked up the numbers of the USA and the numbers in other countries, but because I'm in America, so I'll just focus on the USA. And you'll be, maybe you already know, but maybe you'll be interested to know more that in the United States, about 43.6% of women and 24.8% of men have experienced some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. In the country where I come from, according to the National Child Policy um, uh, report that came out in 2020 it is recorded that one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused before their age of 18 and in just the last years of covid just two years of schools shutting down families forced to stay home because we were supposed to be keeping ourselves safe from a deadly disease right we had a pandemic within a pandemic because 690 thousand girls got abused and they ended up getting pregnant. 690,000. If I look up the numbers of some of the cities in the US, 690,000 can easily be two big cities 
full cities in America. And this was just in a season of two years. And where is this abuse happening? It is happening at home, at school, in places where our children think they should be safe, with people that they know that are not strangers to them, with people that are supposed to be protecting and defending them. In 2021, when the team from Paul Petrock had come to visit, I remember, I, I'm sure they, they, they might be able to remember some of the girls. They held babies in their, their, their hands and dedicated these babies. And the fathers of these children were the fathers of the girls that gave birth to them. Biological fathers abusing their daughters and getting them pregnant and abandoning them because they are now a curse and an outcast and they are not supposed to talk about it. Tamara was in a king's palace. She was a princess. She's a girl that woke up every morning knowing that the future is bright. My father is the king. I am the princess. I assume maybe that there was a royal wedding that was planned for her whenever she would be ready. Maybe there was another prince from another kingdom that was supposed to come and take her. She had dreams and aspirations as a young girl. She had, you know, basically hopes and, 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 and she was looking forward to a life that was different. And just in a moment, all that was taken away from her. I look to parents today, to teachers in this room, to leaders in community, because you are. And I want to ask, are you aware of what's happening in your house? Are you aware of what's happening in your school? Are you aware of what is happening in your youth group? Are you aware with what, you know, about what is happening with your grandchildren? Because, friends, if we don't interest ourselves to be aware and live in denial that these things are happening far away and they are not close, the enemy is crafty and he's destroying our children right under our roofs. David had won many battles, but he had not won the battle for his family. If I was looking for mentorship and inspiration... I wouldn't be looking to David for, 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 any of it, for any advice. I go to him when I need courage to face a giant. I'd go to him when I need courage to go to war. But I wouldn't look to him for any motivation as a father or even a husband. Because he had his own challenges and failures. He went and raped another, killed another man and took his wife. And now his very sons the son that was supposed to take over the rulership, the kingdom of, of Israel, is now a perpetrator, of, an abuser of his very sister in the very courts. And guess what? The father was part of the story. Because when the son faked illness and convinced his dad that, you know, I can't eat, I don't want servants to cook for me, he never valued girls the same way as he valued boys. So he instructs Tamar, even if she's a princess, and says, go cook for your brother. And Tamar had no say. Because I could easily pull out my princess, you know, position and be like, but I'm a princess, dad. Why don't you send one of the servants? Call the royal chief to do that. Right? But this poor kid, she said, well, if the king has said it, he, 
it has to be done. And of course, even her identity was associated to the brother. It's like Tamar, Absalom's sister. But she had a name of her own and her own identity. I don't know about you, but I've seen parents that play favorites. And the children are aware and they see it. They can see that you're so fond of your son who is aggressive and sporty and he is getting the good grades. And they can see that you don't like the other who looks slow and, you know, whiny and all of that. And they can see it. And sometimes they'll do things to please you because they don't think that they have a voice to say anything. This young man had, you know, that, that uh, Amnon had all, like, his, the Bible says that he had love for Tamar. But I want to ask, is that really love? Because love is not manipulative. Love is not selfish, right? You don't just want to satisfy your need and at the expense of another person. That is not love. It is time, church, we get to a point where we are talking to our young people about what true love is. It's time where we need to take, tell the young boys and tell them that girls are not some apparatus in the laboratory where you have to go testing and seeing which one is good for you. If you're going to have to get married, get, you're going to have to keep yourself and honor somebody's child and wait and do it the right way. Because they are lasting, last, and you know what the enemy does, like I said in the beginning, he takes what the, the beautiful thing that God has given us. Love is a beautiful gift. Love is a beautiful gift. I know how I struggled to trust men. I know how I struggled to even, like, it is a miracle that I am married. A few people that have heard my story in detail will know this. A few people that have interacted with Isaac will know that. He has his story. But I walked in, in, you know, in denial, in fear that no man would ever love me. Why? Because I felt I was damaged goods. I was not worth to become anyone's daughter-in-law. And that's what the enemy does. He had taken the whole image of men and, and, and marriage and sex and given, like, just, like, just turned into the most horrible, abusive thing that can ever exist. And we need to guard our children right now. Right now. If they don't have parents telling them at home, we are going to do that as a church. We are going to do that in the workplace. We are going to do that at school. We are going to do that as coaches because the world depends on it. Every day I look around and I see great men that are leaving us. Great women that are leaving us. And I look at my generation and I cry. We have a broken generation. We have kids that are confused. They don't know how to trust. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to have work ethic. And they are the people that we are handing over the mantles to. And it's high time that on top of prayer, on top of giving them the things as they ask for them, that we arise and show them how to do it. Even when we have evidence of our own personal weaknesses. And maybe they are aware of them. Because I think one of the reasons David just got angry but didn't do anything about his son is because he was feeling guilty. Because he was also, like, you know, he had done the same thing. He had raped a, a woman. He had married many wives. He felt he didn't have a moral right to talk about it. 
It's high time that that changes, friends. Amen? And as we go into the story, we get to understand that there was a deception and like a whole scheme that was crafted. There is intentionality to bring this woman, this young woman, into a place where she is vulnerable and unguarded and undefended so that Amnon can accomplish his mission. He got a, a, a person, a partner in crime, and he got Jonah, um, uh, the cousin brother. Is it Jonadab? Jonadab? Yeah. He got, and then he gave him a plan. And that is what the enemy does, my dear friends. What he does is that he thrives on deception. He's going to give you half-truth. He's going to give you, like, you know, he's, he's going to, like, he's just kimmy. But that is what it is. It's a lie. And we need to tell our girls that not everyone that tells you you're beautiful means it. Not everyone that tells you that you look gorgeous means it. Not every man that promises you to, to come to America, like from Africa, if you told a girl right now that I'm getting you a visa and you're getting on a plane, my goodness. That is why we are getting trafficking to succeed. Because they're using iPhones, they're using iPads, they're using promises for better work, they're using all these different things, and they are luring our daughters and sons with deception. And so if they don't hear those words from you, I never had anyone tell me you're beautiful when I was a young girl. It took me a lot of healing to receive positive feedback. I never felt good enough, never felt worthy enough, never felt complete. I always wanted to be, you know, affirmed. And I wanted somebody to, you know, I would question many times, how much time do I have? Oh, my, what time am I saying? <laughs> Jesus, have mercy on you, sir. <laughs> and I don't know why, like, I came up this pulpit with a completely different direction. And the Holy Spirit does his thing, I won't complain about it. Tell those little princesses who they are. Tell them that you're beautiful. Tell them that you're enough. Tell them that you're worthy. The girls that we work with in the remnant generation come into those doors feeling completely worthless. We have had girls that have been taken advantage of by just a menstrual pad. Just a menstrual pad. And a boy lies to them that I'm going to buy that for you. Others, it was just a bottle of soda and a Rolex. Some of our friends have been to Uganda. They have tested what a Rolex is like. But because they're hungry and somebody's promising them a Rolex today and a Rolex tomorrow, and they take advantage of them. The enemy throws on, on deception. We need to tell our children that even if we don't have so much, even if we don't have the latest iPhone, you are still a cool kid. Don't allow somebody to take advantage of you. Amen. We need to be aware to tell you know, like to, to just be cautious enough to tell. Uh, the second thing that is in that story is that the, the enemy thrives on manipulation. He looks at the points of weakness and he thrives on those ones. Tamar, first of all, <laughs> was a girl. So that was weakness, number one. She was supposed to obey whatever she was being told. Yeah? The second thing is that she's a girl, she's a woman. Like we, we all have like the nurturing 
thing in us. So when your brother is sick and he's like, I cannot eat. It is too hard. Please. You're like, oh. You know, you also want to like feed and do that. Manipulation. The enemy will use the very thing that he knows that you're passionate about. You know, like that, your soft spot. And he will come with that and just manipulate you. So she, she, she was not, like she saw everything happening and she, you know, she just thought it's normal, it's okay. Some, you know, sometimes if, if, if your children love dogs, if they love cats, that the enemy can be crafty to use that. These days we have different Jonah dubs. They may not show up like cousins, but they are showing up like internet. They are showing up like movies. They are showing up like friends. They are showing up like, you know, people that you think you trust. And while she's on that internet and while she's crying through things, there is all this information that is coming. Exposure to a lot of things they don't need to be exposed to. I grieve for, this, for our nations because the generations that we are leaving behind have so much, you know, what is supposed to be good, the technology and everything, yet it is also intended, like the enemy is using that to literally destroy us and just being manipulated, Yeah. Isolation. When you look, read the chapter, the Bible says that Amnon told all the servants to get out. Leave us alone. So now no one was there to witness Tamara's rape. No one was there to defend her. No one was there to respond when she screamed for help. She was alone and unguarded. And even when she tried to plead with her brother, telling him, please don't do this to me. You're going to be called a foolish person. She did not succeed. I'm glad she tried. I'm glad she, you know, you can see that, that you know, the, the effort to fight for her life. But sometimes you can only fight so much. You need somebody else to hear the cry. How many girls are fighting in big rooms, are fighting in bedrooms, are fighting in toilets of, of, of sports clubs? They are fighting and no one is hearing the cry. No one is hearing the cry. You saw Chantel's video. When the rebels went into the house, the fights dealt with the mother. Now there was no one to defend them. And then they turned to all the daughters. The horrible image that remains with these young children of watching your mother raped and your sister one after another. These stories can change. This can be different. It takes courage for us to walk into these stories and ask the question, what could have gone differently? What would have been done differently? What if Absalom didn't tell Tamara to keep quiet and tell her, you know what, my sister, please, it's okay, it's too bad, sorry, but keep quiet, don't tell anyone. That is what I was told. And for many years I walked around with my pain and no one cared. I was being married off at the age of 13 to a man who was 35 years old and I was expected to be a good wife. And no one cared about my abuse. No one cared about my future. No one cared about my opinion. But I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for Jesus because he knows how to step into hard stories like this and show us what needs to be done. 
He knows how to show up at the scene of hopelessness and despair and gives us like an illustration of what we need to be doing. I'm so glad that Jesus said yes when the meeting sat in heaven and it was asking, who shall we send? And the angels were not able to take it. The, 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 the elders were not able to take it. But he said, I'll carry the shame of the cross to redeem the shame of humankind. He was willing to carry my shame. He was willing to carry the shame of all the, the, the 690,000 girls, the millions of children that have suffered. He was willing to carry the shame of everybody right on the cross. And then he declared, it is finished. Amen. And as believers and as children of God, when we come into the knowledge of Christ, we get to understand that we are not here by chance and surprise. But we are here for a great partnership with heaven because we were prepared to walk in good works that he prepared for us in advance. Now it makes sense why I had to go through what I went through. I'm so glad Tamar went through what she went through because her story, when I read her story, I found courage to fight. When I read her story, I found courage to help other girls. When I read her story, I, I knew that I was not alone. There was another lady that went before me. And even if there wasn't justice served, I have the opportunity to bring justice in the, my lifetime. I'm glad the Holy Spirit redeemed her story. Look for 18 if you can bring me that, my sister. Thank you so much. How much time do I have? Pastor Jonathan, please. <laughs> Holy Spirit, have mercy. Will you forgive me if I take just five more minutes in case time is up? Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Do you want to read with me? For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be. This was Jesus' manifesto. Like, I imagine it's a, a presidential campaign, yeah? And you have a good presidential candidate named Jesus. And he's telling you what he's going to do for you. And he comes and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Oh, I love this manifesto because it cuts across. It doesn't discriminate. It gets all of us to the same platform and says we are worth it. We are worth dying for. We are worth redeeming. We are worth setting free. And he did it. And now we can boldly say that we are not what has happened to us, but we are what he says we are. Hey, we are what Jesus has done for us, not what he has, has happened to us. So we find hope in this message that, Lord, you know, God in his infinite wisdom knew that we needed redemption and he sent his son Jesus and he said that, you know, when you go, this is the mission. Preach good news to the poor. Set the captives free. Bind the brokenhearted. Give them beauty for ashes. This was fulfillment of scripture that was prophesied in Isaiah 61. And if any of you have found Isaiah 61, any Christians that have found Isaiah 61? If you have found Isaiah 61, you're going to read the whole prophecy in Isaiah. And Jesus concludes this scripture by saying that this is being fulfilled right before your eyes. 
and say, this very agenda, it is for this very reason that I am here. And he tells us what we need to do. This right here presents to us the opportunity. How should we respond in seasons of crisis? How should we respond to people that are broken? What should we do? Because a gift has been given to us. The Bible says that when he was going, he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm giving you the spirit of the Lord. Amen? So the spirit of the Lord is upon us, and he has anointed us for this mission. So we can do this. Hallelujah. And the mission is to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. You ask yourself this morning, what is the Lord saying? He is saying, you are saved and redeemed for a purpose. He is saying, his heart is beating for every kid that is dying out of the gang, uh, the gang rapes, out of the trafficking, for all the shooting that is happening. He's bleeding for the marriages that are breaking. He's bleeding for the children that have been left homeless. And you are here to do something about it. Amen. Imagine with me a world where all of us have are rising up every day and we're like, this ends with my generation. Yeah. Amen. That this ends with my generation. Where we can boldly confess and say that no weapon passioned against us shall prosper anymore. We can have a different generation, friends. When... when <laughs> When abuse happens to you, allow me as I conclude to make this illustration. When you're a girl from my culture, just like it was for Tamara, and you are raped, and your virginity is taken away, because virginity is such a precious, you know, a precious thing, but it's taken away rudely from you. It's like when you have this full paper, when this is you complete, and then somebody just breaks out a valuable piece of you. And there is just a huge hole and brokenness. And many of you will know that one level of brokenness can lead to many forms of brokenness. But when Jesus comes, he takes the broken pieces. The remnants of what have remained and gives them new purpose. And he gives us purpose through the pain. I'm so glad he found my brokenness and gave it meaning. I'm so glad he has found your brokenness and given it meaning. I'm so glad he's able to come through where people don't want to touch. And he's able to redeem that for his glory. For as long as there is breath left on the inside, we can still tell our stories. We can still share our testimonies. We can still look into Things that look like they are completely hopeless and desperate. But through the lenses of Christ and say, right here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'll be the bearer of good news. I'll be the one who will bind the brokenhearted. I'll give a home to the homeless. I'll give a share in my food, share in my skill, share in my knowledge. No matter what it is that you do, there is greater purpose. For as we shared from Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's handwork. It doesn't take away the fact that you are his masterpiece. No matter what has happened. I was a Muslim. I didn't know Christ. He saved me the night I was going to commit suicide. He gave me a new name that means beautiful grace. I am so thankful he has redeemed my life. And he's given me the opportunity to do that for many other girls. But I'm so thankful he has brought many people in my life that have redeemed the fatherhood image. Men that have redeemed the fatherhood image. That I don't have to walk around hating men anymore. But I can talk to men and tell them, you need to step up. You need to be the defender. 
the provider. And I can talk to, turn to mothers and tell them, you are not as weak as you think you are. You are strong enough to raise those children. You are strong enough to pray for them. You are strong enough to hold them. And friends, Jesus is counting on us to let this kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and i'm excited that pulpit rock church is doing that i'm excited that you have embraced us i'm excited that you're working with us i'm excited about the possibilities of the future and allow me right now to just invite pastor jonathan to join me as we conclude i have to finish i know i have <laughs> taken more time i'm sorry but i just had to go on uh, thank you so much for the opportunity and i just let the man of god lead us on how can i don't yes. know how to conclude this today I don't know. You want to just keep going? <laughs> just keep going. Can we thank Annabelle? I'm, I'm struck by a memory uh, from October when uh, you would invite us into these homes where these girls with their children live. Um, newborn babies, and you'd, you'd always be very kind to, to me and Mark and say, will you pray for these girls? And we didn't know what to pray for, so we'd ask, what do we pray for? And they, to a person, every girl said, I want you to pray that my child would not be abused. And that's what you are doing. That prayer does not get answered by magic, right? It's not magic. It is be healed and be a healer. That's how God answers that sort of prayer and breaks a cycle of abuse. And that's what you are doing. You have been healed and you are a healer. And may we be the same. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would break the many, many cycles of abuse in our world. And Lord, we understand that when we pray that, we are praying that we would be healed and that we would be healers in the same way that Annabelle has been healed and she is a healer. We embrace it. Lord, would you forgive us for those counterfeits we've embraced? Would you forgive us for believing the lies of the enemy about our own value? And would you lead us to the truth of what we are, of what you declare over us? And would you allow us to be people who speak the truth of how much you value each human in this world? May we be healed and may we be healers. In Jesus' name, amen.